0: Welcome back to CSI Sidebar. It's been a while. Mike Brooks along with Charles Middlestat. I'm, uh, I'm on the men, so we're going to get be getting back in this, Charles. It's been hey, a long road here, it, but uh, it has. Good getting to have old is a
1: bitch. <laughs> Good to have you back. Thanks, buddy. It has been a while. So, yeah, looking forward to uh, moving on, especially this particular case that's been profiled several episodes since we've been in the studio now. And uh, today, I think we're going to go ahead and try to cover several episodes in one yeah. in one session here. But, you know, last time we talked about a knife that had yeah, been found
0: exactly. where on a construction site had been turned over to a retired L.A. motorman. Well, just a day ago, there, the news came out and said apparently this knife that they thought may have been involved with this case has nothing to do with the case. It wasn't big enough. Uh, basically, just a a knife that was found right. that has nothing to do with the O.J.
1: Simpson case. So we put that to rest, that and to we rest. can move on. Probably had uh, O.J. chuckling in jail. Oh, you know that, I, did. Know, knowing that it had nothing to do with it. Oh, he knew. Uh, he knows where the knife you, is. You think he knew? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, we we start off now. The next episode, Run for His Life, dealing with the chase that everybody remembers. Everybody stopped to watch. In fact, where were you when
1: you looked up and saw the White Bronco? Well, the the chase was, you know, it actually on the East Coast here. I mean, on the West Coast, it happened between 6 and 8 p.m. Right. East Coast. Or, sorry, West Coast. West Coast, right? So I remember I was actually in a sports bar. Imagine and, that. Yeah. And um but I remember it. I mean it was it's one of those things. And we've talked about this before. It's like, you know, any other kind of massive event, whether it's uh, you know, Ronald Reagan being shot or uh when the when Desert Storm started right. or the you know the Iraq war started. You just remember these milestones in your life, right? but the chase it's one of those indelible things there that you just can't get out of your mind and you just have this vision of this white bronco right oh yeah on, on the screen with live in the corner unbelievable on the screen and and you're watching it and i remember walking i was in this sports bar and i'm i think i'd gone to the restroom oh, yeah. i'm walking back and i look up at one of the screens and you just see the footage staying on this Look like a chase. You see these cop cars behind it. Like, what the heck is that? And then finally, within a few minutes, it's like everybody's saying, hey, turn that up. Turn that up. What's going on? <laughs> and then next thing you know, the, the entire bar is glued to this footage. And we realize that it involves O.J.
0: Simpson. And, and it was, it was amazing. I was, uh, I was at the old Ebbett Grill right, uh, right across from the, the Treasury Department next to the White House at, uh, at 15th and New York Avenue. And it was a a spot where myself and some of my buddies and uh, our FBI guys from the Joint Terrorism Task Force used to go to. Well, I'd gotten some new business cards and apparently dropped some out on the curb somewhere. And I got a call just out of the blue from someone, uh, a woman who was a producer for a major network, uh, one of the big three at the time. And uh, she told me she found these cards. She wanted to get them back to me. I said, well, I'll be at the old Ebbett Grill. She goes, well, I just happen to have to go. I have to go to a dinner at the White House with some state dinner she had to cover. She said, I'll drop by and drop them off to you. Well, that was the night of the low-speed chase. So I'm there watching. As she gets done and she'd heard what was going on. She had gotten a page. Back then we had pagers and that yeah, kind of thing oh, yeah. about, about that. So, uh and, and she walked through the door, and you could tell because she had a long gown on, and she was everybody. Went, that's who you're. That's who you're. So, so let
1: me understand. She called you as a result of finding your cards on the pavement. Yeah, sounds a little desperate.
0: No, she wanted. She was trying to do the right thing.
1: We're this is Washington cards, D. business. And cards? this is a news. This is this is a producer
0: for a major network who's trying to do the right thing. And Sounds even
1: more desperate when you put it like that. No, not really, <laughs> not really. Nice, friendly news. So she didn't people. find your wallet. Actually, she no. just found business so cards. So business cards, like I said, they were this, rubber band we're together, talk, We're some paper. paper, right? Not not like gold plated or anything.
0: No, but it had it had the FBI seal. It had the Metropolitan Police Department gold. It had gold badge, gold seal, and it had my name, and it had you know FBI Joint Terrorism. But these Task are paper
1: force. business cards, right?
0: Yeah, and if, uh, okay. but if somebody got hold of them, they could you know misrepresent themselves as being with. Uh, and being Mike Brooks with the FBI nope, JTTF. N- nobody would ever do that. <laughs> no. Nobody, nobody would. No, not that. in D.C. No. But the bottom line is she came there, and we had a couple of cocktails, and oh my goodness. It, she Did you leave your she, gun
1: laying around somewhere She was too? gorgeous. She was gorgeous. You ever, you ever forgot your gun? No. What uh, other kind of uh, important comment. things are you laying <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Anyway.
0: Anyway. Anyway, we watched the <laughs> chase, and, uh, and, and and it was a hot chick, and everybody was like, wow. you
1: know. <laughs> but, hey. That's why. I, so that's you don't where remember. you were.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, so anyway, I you know, I remember this thing and like it was yesterday. And I think probably one of the things that now looking back because at the time social media didn't exist there weren't as many channels. You didn't have cops, there were the show cops, right? So there wasn't as much awareness of law enforcement tactics. You didn't have all all these different shows that showed police chases, CNN, right? Back yeah, then, uh, yeah, yeah. You really, you know, the, the awareness level with regard to exposure to law enforcement, right. law arrests, tactics, all that was minimal. Yeah. Now, you know, most people see this stuff quite a bit. So, for our listeners now looking back at that chase, they can't help but be struck by the by the question: Why did they let it go on for two hours? Right? Why didn't they throw some some strips down? Why didn't they do the pit maneuver? Why didn't they stop this thing way before? Well, and I then, can tell you one thing because number one, they were going a little
0: bit too slow to even do a pit maneuver. You now got to have a little speed to come up and do it, to perform proper. You know, but it was the slow speed chase. Yeah,
1: but you had half of the LA uh, PD there on involved in the chase. They were shutting down off ramps. On ramps, I mean, they shut down the 405. He helicopters. Right? They shut down up. the 405 for two hours, basically. It was crazy. It, it was, was north rush on the 5, And then to the 405, it
0: was nuts. Think yeah. about that.
1: If you were if you were coming home from work and you were stuck, you would be pissed.
0: Oh, it's bad enough traffic. Like traffic's bad awful, horrible.
1: Right. But but we now know the logic was essentially they had AC Cowling on the phone who was describing OJ's state of mind. The fact that he was armed with a revolver, supposedly holding it to his head, he was threatening to kill himself, and it seems like they were doing everything in their power, trying to to de-escalate the situation, and they were attempting to get him home. Right, right.
0: Be- because look, I, you know, I was a, I was a hostage negotiator, I was a certified crisis intervener, and if someone is threatening to kill themselves and they haven't done that, that plays on your side. So yeah, you well, still not have- always. We've seen we you and I have a case right now where oh yeah. <laughs> they didn't wait. No. They no. shot. They shot. <laughs> they shot. They shot. But a little bit different, little yeah, bit different. a little bit different, yeah, a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they don't always. We'll be do talking that. about that when we can, folks. That's yeah. a, it's a good case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on this particular case, you know, LAPD, they've got a, they've got a great negotiated uh, unit. And, In fact, Lang, who was one of the detectives on this, was actually he was a negotiator. Uh, I heard Lang speak, and I heard a couple other guys speak about what they did and they actually did at a uh, hostage negotiation conference uh, a number of years later after everything was uh, went through court. And, yeah, they they actually were the ones who basically talked him down yeah. because they felt that as long as that they could keep uh, A.C. talking to either A.C. and using A.C. as the intermediary between O.J., that everything was would play in their
1: favor. Right. The series has, they portray... AC is getting kind of agitated and so forth whereas in doing some fact checking and reality he was actually pretty calm. Yeah. Uh, he was very concerned about his his buddy and making sure that he did not escalate the situation in any way. One of the other kind of interesting ad- anecdotes about this the whole chase was as it turns out it was and is to date still Domino's best day in the history of orders. Because people were glued to their television <laughs> sets, it happened during dinner time. They didn't want to leave the TV, and so they they had record orders of pizzas. That's amazing. Isn't that Isn't that funny? That is amazing. Yeah, I mean that's just an interesting little little side thing there. But uh, but you uh, know, then
0: then the suicide note. Let's talk a little bit about the note. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you did a little bit of fact checking. I and did. the note was actually written 2 days before. 2 days before. On, the, on, on, uh, the chase. So what is that what does that say Charles to
1: OJ's state of mind at that particular time? Well, if you recall, it was his buddy Bob Kardashian that read the note to the to the press and the fact checking kind of reveals that well first it does reveal that it happened 2 days before uh, June 15th, 1994. Four is when it was actually written. Yeah, um, and then there's also he Kardashian took some liberties when he read it to the media because there were he essentially paraphrased some of these things, um, especially with regard to the, the 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 statement about first everyone understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. It doesn't actually read that way. The actual note it is uh, it says first everyone understand nothing to do with Nicole's murder, there's and and the incompleteness, they never could figure out whether that's just a result of you know, is was O. J. less than literate or was the note written in such a rushed way that it just wasn't spelled out correctly. Or comedy. And there too, and there, yes. yeah, and there were and there were several examples of that throughout the note. But the other reason that uh presumably Kardashian took liberties when he was reading it was because he was concerned about how it would reflect on him since he was essentially uh, Simpson's confidant, his best, closest friend, would it appear that he was conspiring with O.J. to take flight? Uh, Which, you know, which at the time, yeah, people could have thought that. Right. So anyway, the note was less, you know, the way it's purported on the series, less than accurate. And then there's the you know once they finally get to Brentwood, the series purports that it's Kardashian that is the one who actually talks OJ out of the Bronco. And if you recall, he's you know got these framed photographs in his hands. None of that's accurate. It's actually as a result of an hours long uh, LAPD negotiation to get him out. Right. Because happened.
0: he was at the house and right. it took them a while for a negotiated surrender before he even got right. out of the Bronco. Right. And it was Lang and, and a couple of the folks that actually came up and, and got him out of there, got him, you know, to leave the gun in, in the Bronco and, uh, and come out to them and surrendered to them. Yeah. Yeah, so that I mean that's when I was at the conference. That's what they told us, and, which I thought was great work. And that's that's what you want to do. Just leave the gun. They got AC out. Leave the gun. Come on out, and right. we'll talk about this. We'll work through this. Right. So I mean, it was it was good work. Kind of textbook. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So then the other uh, now, where I guess we're we're spilling into the next episode, and there's this. This is where the whole Kardashian thing comes in, right? And now, so the, the Kardashians, good right, God, the we haven't heard not.
0: the end of them since then, have we? Good God!
1: <laughs> but they portray Bob Kardashian as someone who's uninterested in fame and publicity, and he's even telling the kids basically that fame is fleeting, and you know, you got to be a good person and that sort of thing. And they sure didn't listen, did they? Yeah, no, they did not listen. That, that little lesson went in one and
0: one ear and out the other. It seems like he's the only one that ever worked, yeah. ever really had a real job.
1: But apparently, the 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 reality of the situation is that Kardashian was still kind of a you know an injured bird from the fact that his ex-wife, Chris Jenner, Chris Kardashian, had left him for Bruce Jenner. Yeah, and that while this case was going on, that Chris and Bruce had this infomercial that had been running constantly m- several times a day, in which they were doing this this fitness video that they were hawking on a, through an infomercial, and that by all accounts he was sick and tired of having his nose rubbed in that you know, and the fact that she had left him for for Jenner and. That they were getting all this exposure, and he saw this actually as an opportunity to kind of trump that exposure.
0: Well, you, and you talk about the fame; it was it was interesting because they would go into a restaurant, and no one would know who he was, and we you know with the kids, and then they'd say, you know, uh, a reservation for Kardashian, and then oh, you, you're the, and then right. that was oh, right. and he was right. kind of
1: downplaying it, but the kids thought it was cool. Well, and you you know you have to wonder, Mike. Whether that was kind of the um, the seed for them, you That's know, where right. they where they got that first taste of celebrity, yeah, and went, "Wow, this feels really good. That's, I like I was this." Think,
0: I was think I was thinking the ex- exact same yeah. thing. I
1: went, "Oh boy, this yeah. is where it all started." And then, and then, and then if you follow that thought out, it's really Jenner. It's Jenner's celebrity that provided them kind of the springboard, right? Right. They got the that that's the seed that planted their desire, and it's Bruce Jenner's fame as a as a decathlete and an Olympian yeah. that really would have provided the access. Because Kardashian, up until that point, I mean, other than the O.J. Simpson fame, no. was you know he was successful, but certainly had no no fame. Right. No, he was basically successful in Los
0: Angeles, but outside of LA he really wasn't well known. Right. At all. Right. And the
1: series also portrays this split in the family between Bob Kardashian and and Chris Jenner. Chris being a close friend of Nicole's, Bob being uh, OJ's best buddy. Right. And and I think that that actually is accurate. It seemed to be we've seen Chris Jenner be interviewed, we've seen uh, what's the daughter? Card- uh, the, what's, Not Chloe. Uh, no, no, no. The Kanye's... Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Kanye's wife. Yeah. With the big... Uh, yeah. <laughs> with the big, big booty. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> Kim! 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 Good. How can we forget? This,
1: <laughs> I know. Everybody's probably going... I'm are trying you, to forget. That's nuts? what it is. Uh, this just tells you how little I care uh, about you know the what? Kardashians. Yeah, I, but, uh, let me ask.
0: Do, do you really follow her on Twitter? No, I, I don't follow her. Oh, anyone. come on.
1: I, I promise you. I don't either. Um, but... They've they've both been interviewed, and Kim. I, I saw Kim get interviewed, and she she recalls that she was very much in her dad's camp, and that her mom was, uh, in in the Nicole camp, and and very much believed in OJ's guilt, and her dad, of course, was completely invested in his innocence. Right. So that seems to be accurate as well. And then this this uh, they also talk about this notion that it was. Actually, uh, Bob Shapiro that convinced Simpson to hire Johnny Cochran. Yeah, and the the reality again, fact checking a little different in that originally when they decided that they were going to do this, they're going to bring race into the defense of this case. It's actually Jerry Spence, the famed lawyer Jerry Spence. Uh, you know, you, you everybody probably has seen him. He's he's Wyoming based. He Wears kind of a Western cowboy yes. kind of, you know, he sports that kind of look, but yep. he's, you know, very, very well respected, very accomplished uh, lawyer. And he actually came to LA, he met with the team, and he allegedly decided that he was not going to be the right fit, that he wasn't going to be the guy to sell this racial aspect to the case. And he removed himself.
0: Yeah, and, and and that was the very beginning of the whole the racial overtones of this particular case. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because Johnny Cochran's daughter lives here in Atlanta, and uh, and she,
1: when we both know Tiffany, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Tiffany, she's, Tiffany she's says wonderful. that
0: this is not the way at all that her father acts. Right, it's not it's not no. at all like her father. And and it's interesting too, Charles. And I think we might have mentioned this, but just to remind uh, our listeners, no one even approached the family at all about this when, when it comes to Johnny Cochran and how Johnny Cochran was. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, you know, that's I was like, I was really. Yeah, I, I I thought Jeffrey Tubin, who wrote the book that this is based on, would have done that, but but he did not.
1: Yeah. A quote that I saw of Jerry Spence that I thought was interesting. He said that he turned down the job and that he neither had the experience nor the inclination to defend this double murder case based on a non-existent conspiracy of racist police officers. There you go. You know that's that's interesting. It's very interesting. Another another fallacy in the and again in the way the series portrays the events and again, this is this was not in Tubin's book. Tubin's it seems like the series has taken a lot of creative liberties from Tubin's book. I mean, Tubin's book, right, is supposed to be the script. yeah, and then they they take certain departures here. So some of this fact checking that I'm referring to is versus Tubin's book and also interviews that we've subsequently seen now uh, from some of these key players as a result of this series. but the the whole Furman thing, which, Really, when you think about it, the, the Furman aspect of this, that is really the cornerstone upon which the, the racial component to this case is built. Right. Mean, without Furman, you don't really have that argument. No, not at all. Right. And how did that get started? Right. So the way it gets – in the series, right. they portray uh, an investigator by the name – of a private investigator by the name of Pat McKenna, right. who, who, I, who I know – a uh, very well respected investigator he was absolutely a member like of the- yourself well thank you <laughs> he he was a, he was a, a certainly a member of the defense team but they're the one in the series they portray McKenna as being the guy who goes Furman Furman uh, you know that that name rings a bell let me go do some checking on that and he's the guy who ultimately stumbles into the, through his through his investigation into these Instances of Furman having had complaints against him for being a racist or being racially violent, etc., whereas the reality is quite different. It's actually another defense team member, a fellow by the name of Bill Pavlik. Right now, Bill actually has a super interesting. Uh, History and we've heard his
0: name in a number of cases yeah, since then. He's
1: extremely well respected, and he uh, he was also he arguably was truly the lead defense investigator in the O.J. Simpson case. Now Pavlik has quite an extensive history with the LAPD. He was with uh, the department for 19 years prior to this case. He was involved primarily. Well, he, he, first of all, he made detective within seven years of, of graduating from the academy. But he became involved specifically as the corruption awareness coordinator. So this guy really spent much of his career rooting out corrupt cops. Right. And in fact, even before this case came along in 1991 and 92, he was the chief – one of the chief critics of ch- – LAPD chief Daryl Gates, who ultimately was forced to resign and he was presiding over the LA riots and and, right. and and was ultimately villainized and kind of run out of town for and called a lot of a lot of horrible names for a lot of his tactics and, and the way that he ran that department and by all it seems like everybody agrees that he kind of left the LAPD in shambles. Yeah, and because, you know, everything is kind of with LAPD is measured
0: uh, uh, pre and post Rodney King and, and the L.A. riots. And uh, I know I've, I've been out to the L.A. Police Academy. I've uh, done work with, LA, with LAPD and L.A. sheriffs over the years when I was at the Federal Enforcement Training Center, uh, especially with their SWAT team. And, uh, you know, the, the number of changes that they talk about, uh, when I was out there, last out there in 2000, uh, w- it was just amazing. You know, and and Pavlik's name comes up all the time. Yeah, yeah. Now he's he's because one. of because of the corruption. You know, because you had all these. It was all each little um, substation. You know, foothill, uh, whatever. It was its own department, and they were they were just kind of running themselves, and Gates was letting them run that way. Right.
1: But it's 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 actually Pavlik who knew of Furman. Right. And he's the guy that is the one that, that pinpoints the fact that Furman has issues in his, in his past. And in fact, says this guy, uh, and before they even, Furman even, long before he testified in the case, long before they even went to, went to war with him in this case, it was Pavlik who who said essentially that this guy is a pathological liar, that he's a racist, and that there's all sorts of issues. And he said this publicly. I mean, he he gave an interview to the media and said that the guy is he should be discredited, and he, he's no he's worse than Daryl Gates. And so he he took this very very personally. And that's
0: and, and for him to go out on a limb like that, yeah, you know that uh, that that's takes some cojones, right? And so and it opens them up to possible lawsuits, if you know you could say, "Well, no, that's not the way it is." Right. But we never heard. So, of.
1: You, you know what? Well, we've always everything that's talked about, and in fact, the entire series, any other case that's ever profiled, you know, we always hear about great lawyering and cross examination and how they destroy somebody on the stand or some star witness and sure. this and that. And a lot of times what gets lost, and you and I know this as investigators, is the good investigative work. You know, it's, it's essentially giving the attorneys the ammunition to make these great arguments or to conduct a searing cross-examination based upon the information that we've developed through the course of an investigation. You and I rarely get credit for that, right? right. But, but if you look at this case, it's really Pavlik's investigation, knowledge, discovery of Furman. That it, it is the cornerstone to this case, and everything kind of flows from there. The entire racial argument flows from there. I mean, that without that, you, you don't get traction. No. I mean, this provided a—Furman provided a tremendous distraction in the case.
0: Oh, that that was one of the main distractions. Yeah.
1: And, and And it flows in many directions. Even from the glove, there was always this insinuation that Furman's the one who planted the glove— and the glove comes back to the, you know, if you don't, if it doesn't fit, you must. Acqu- I mean, it, it it has so many layers. And the to glove
0: it. with, and you know, the glove and the blood on the glove that they gathered there, took back, put in OJ's Bronco that had OJ's, right. that had, you know, uh, that had
1: everybody's involved blood in there, and it, they and said oh, possible place. scene contamination at right. all. You make this big argument somehow. You got this rotten apple that you can't defend. You just can't defend his actions. And from there, you can make all sorts of arguments. Right. Do, do I
0: think that happened? Absolutely not. I don't think that happened. But you, when you have, but you open the door to that. that. has a reputation like that. Absolutely, yeah. it opens the door yeah. to that. To to totally discredit him, and uh, you know, when you get him on the stand. And and you know, after all this was over, do you know where do you know where Mark Furman lives or wound up living for at least a while? It's way
1: out in the wilderness somewhere. Hayden Lake, Idaho. Yeah, you, you I, did.
0: I'm just. Do, do you know what Hayden Lake, Idaho, is basically the main headquarters for
1: the Aryans or
0: something? Aryan Nation. Yes. I'm just saying. I just, I just right. thought that was very ironic. Well,
1: it's probably a place where he feels real safe. <laughs> no comment. <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I never say no comment. Yeah, no doubt.
1: So anyway, uh, back to Pavlik for a second. So Pavlik went on after this case. He, uh, he's he been involved. In, he was involved in Michael Jackson, child molestation case, and the Robert Blake murder, um, uh, or what else? He's in uh, Scott Peterson, Max Factor, yeah. Phil Spector. I mean, this guy has done great work. I've seen it, you know, When I was covering, uh, I was
0: out for the preliminary hearing with Scott Peterson. I was in Modesto. I was a correspondent for CNN at the time. And I'm there, and I'm looking over all the evidence. It was uh, you know, a, a very lengthy um, preliminary hearing. I call it the preliminary hearing trial for Scott Peterson. And so I'm looking at all the evidence that they laid out in the in the co- basement of the courthouse. And I get the page, and they said, "Hey, where are you? You're still in uh, Modesto. Get in your car, check out of your hotel, drive south because they're getting they're doing a search of Neverland Ranch." Hmm. So I went from. Modesto, California, south to there. I got there. It was a longer drive than they said it was, but uh, but got there. And actually, I broke the news that they actually had an arrest warrant for Michael Jackson, really? and I had to copy of the warrant. But I but I saw Pavlik at Peterson's, and I saw him then later on. At Michael Jackson,
1: Yeah. You yeah.
0: you'd see him all over the place.
1: Well, and then the the, the last infamous case that he was associated with was, and, and our listeners may not even know this name, but you and I do real well, and it's a, it's a P.I. named Anthony Pelicano, yep. who was based out of Hollywood, who was, quote, the P.I. to the stars, and worked with countless huge names, but... <laughs> The reason he was so successful is because he was he he was engaging in highly illegal activity, and he was ultimately indicted and convicted federally for oh, federal wiretapping. So oh. he, the reason he was having success in getting dirt on on other on uh, other stars during divorce <laughs> cases and so forth is because he was engaging in these illegal wiretaps of their phones. And that's how he would develop evidence in the cases, and and silence people, and involved in witness intimidation, and anyway, investigators do that. Come well, on, Charles. You know what? When, if they do, and when they do, they ought to be they ought to be um, prosecuted. And you know, he's a, he was a rotten apple. Hey, at least he had the right name. Hey,
0: Belcano. Hey, <laughs> hey forget about
1: it. forget about it. But uh, but but Pavlik was taught when he talks about. Rotten cops. He's got two little phrases that I like, and one of them is he talks about them. um, It's when they testify and they perjure themselves. He talks about testifying, and testifying. I like that. I like that (laughs) a lot. (laughs) He's (laughs) testifying. Anyway, that's that's, should know. I mean,
0: all the years on the job with LAPD and uh, working those corruption cases. If anybody knows about those two words. He definitely does.
1: Yeah. So anyway, that's the Pavlik deal. Uh, it wasn't. It was not. Um, uh, it was not his cohort, but rather it was Pavlik that uh, broke that. Then there's this scene about Jeffrey Tubin showing up at uh, Shapiro's office, if you recall, and he kind of stumbles into this exclusive. Yeah. And it it didn't go down that way. No. Oh, he he had yeah. actually he had been working on this trash for cash story. It's a tabloid story where the tabloids are paying money for you know for information. He had actually finished that story and he was beginning to work on this story, so it, it was not as happenstance as uh, as they would portray. It was actually he was assigned to the story, and uh, Tina Brown was the editor at the time. She she uh, she knew Alan Dershowitz, and Dershowitz is the one that kind of. Tipped them off to the fact that they may have a bad cop in this case, and that's what led Tubin to to his office. Interesting, yeah,
0: yeah. Mark Mark Furman was just such a – I mean, what a character in this case, and you know, he had the the story of he with the news reporter, and you know, he's trying to get trying to get laid, basically, and showing what a tough guy was, and dropping the N word, and oh my God, just yeah, what what an idiot, what idiot. But then again. You still see him popping up on the news.
1: I know, isn't that something?
0: I, I it's it's like seeing Bernie Carrick popping up on CNN all the time. The you biggest... hate you hate Bernie. I I've actually cannot...
1: I've actually been on radio shows with him before. He's actually a really bright guy, and he's he's accomplished. Now he is, unfortunately, you know, he's a convicted felon. But, but even if he wasn't a convicted felon, he was still, uh, I, I'll, you know, tell you, I'll tell you. I mean, you, the guy's, di- I think he's, you
0: know, he has you pretty, know how, pretty impressive you accomplishments. You know how he got his gig? Do you really want to know how he got his gig? He's buddies with Giuliani. He was a driver. He volunteered to be Julie's, uh, Giuliani's driver. Hey, boss, so be a driver. Because he used to work at Rikers Island. He was a detective, and Ju- Rudy got elected, and he well, he became commissioner, all right? He's got the command staff. Let's not what
1: spend it, too much time on Bernie.
0: No, but that's what's real quick. What, one one of the things with Bernie, he has a whole command staff. He comes out with his little Napoleonic, he comes out on the stage. You hate him. With Well, this comes from a very good friend of mine who was on the command staff at the time. And instead of coming in and say, "Hey guys, how you doing?" Because you know, I the highest rank I ever got was lieutenant. Um, I was a detective, and you know, hey, what's all we can all work together? First thing he comes out, he looks at the crowd. He goes, "I know some of you guys aren't very happy. Get over it." That's his. Hey, nice to be here. Glad to be your glad to be your boss. Get over it. After that, yeah. I'm glad he got his. Sorry. End of, end of Bernie Kerr. All right. and he still shows up on CNN. Biggest disgrace, because he used his badge for his own self-aggrandizement and making money.
1: There you go. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. You feel good? No, it's still <laughs> Every time I see a guy on CNN, it makes me want to gag. All right. So let's... Uh, let's anyway. Tell, there, the uh, series uh, portrays this preliminary hearing in which Johnny Cochran argues about the... You know, they basically they wanted to they wanted to work Marcia Clark at every turn. So when it came time to the request for Simpson to submit exemplars like hairs it, for DNA sampling, yes, they, you know she wants a hundred hairs, are like we'll give you two, and that was part of their strategy. And I, I think that's that's actually accurate that it, you, and no matter what they asked for, they were going to be obstructionists, right. no matter what. But the reality, in fact-checking this, Cochran wasn't even on the case at that point. No. it's actually Shapiro that makes that argument. And but but the way it goes down in the hearing is accurate in terms of you know, and so Ito ultimately orders Simpson to provide fifty to a hundred hairs. just as a sidebar,
0: what, what did you think of John, another one? What did you think of John Travolta's? Uh, I, portrayal to me, of- it's a
1: little overacting. It got better.
0: It got a little bit better because you know we still see Shapiro. I mean, I've on, seen
1: Shapiro be interviewed plenty of times. He doesn't quite come still, off that you know? that goofy to me. No, not at all.
0: But yeah. he got a little bit better, I thought,
1: as the
0: series went yeah, on.
1: Yeah, he's got Travolta's got this kind of strange accent. Like, I, it, it to me, it doesn't really reflect yeah. the Shapiro, You know, any interviews I've seen with Shapiro. No, I, not at all. I, I don't know where that's coming from. Not at all. It's some little persona that he created. <laughs> um so then there's also this depiction of Marsha Clark in the in the trial, you know the jury consultant that is brought in who they represent volunteers, offers his services. This is uh Donald Vincent, who's actually kind of really the the pioneer to jury research, jury consulting, go. right and uh, and that's true. And that turns out to be a, a accurate portrayal of what happened. Now, the way that Vincent gets into the case is that he had been very turned off. Just I guess in a in a year or two or three, maybe before this, I don't know the exact timing. But you recall the Menendez brothers? Oh yeah. They they killed their parents the, with a shotgun. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Remember well, very Well, presumably he watched that miscarriage of justice, and it was. Following that, that he decided that he was going to start offering some of his services pro bono. He has a company called – or he had a company called Decision Quest at the time. And he decided, you know what, we're going to – I'm going to offer some of my time. So he, in fact, did approach Gil Garcetti in this case and said, hey, I'll volunteer my time. And the way that they depict some of these focus groups and some of the research with regard to their – Impressions of Marsha Clark is fairly accurate, and ultimately Marsha Clark decided not to use that research, and kind of ignored it because she was rather insulted by some of it. I mean, they just like the black females were were not crazy about her, right? And she thought because she had represented so many black female victims through her career, like they're going to love me, but not the case.
0: Which hair do they like? Which hair do did they really like?
1: Yeah, that, you know that 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 actually becomes an issue it later, does. right? It does. I mean, I remember it. I mean, she took Why a beating you? on that stuff.
0: She really took a beating. I never. I. I wouldn't. I wouldn't a big, Marcia Clark. I wouldn't a big Clark fan. Yeah. Still not. So I. I, I met her back during uh, Michael Jackson. That's Mike <laughs> Brooks' opinion. <laughs>
1: so sh- there. There's also in this episode uh, a suggestion that Shapiro wants to offer this. Alternate theory where that would lead to a settlement, right? And the criticism of Shapiro in the series is that he's not a trial attorney. He's no. he's basically a guy who settles cases. I mean he doesn't try anything. And that's why he needed Cochrane, because he needs someone who can actually try a case. And the the fact checking that I I've done doesn't really dispute This notion that Shapiro walks in one day and says, All right, look, we need to settle this case. And the way we're going to settle it is by admitting that he did it. But it's as a result of it's going to be a manslaughter case because he was not invited to dinner with his kids, with Nicole. And then Goldman shows up and he goes over there to drop something off and things get out of hand and he loses control basically and it escalates. And the series would depict that. Nobody even responds to to this suggestion, and they brush them off, and that may be somewhat accurate. It could, it, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. But OJ, the, 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 I, I don't. Know. When we get into the evidence, the evidence is just so overwhelming as far as I'm concerned. But anyway,
1: yeah. So all right. So now it little kind of takes us into episode five, and this was an interesting one where they where, the, where there's this effort to keep. The domestic violence record out. Yes, excluded from trial. And, and it, I, it's
0: interesting. It starts because like, you know it's called the the race card. You know, they, yeah. They, and it's Darden getting pulled over right. with his kids in the car by an LA motorman, and that and 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 that's one of the things they do. They they keep that they keep that racial they keep that racial issue all the time in this in
1: here. You know, you well, gotta, you know, I think it was a real issue. Yeah, back. I mean, it, it was a real issue. I mean. The, and we i think we talked about this in the first episode yeah. right i mean the the background to this is the riots yeah and LAPD that's how everything is was to say. i mean they were not well thought of and they they had a terrible reputation within the black community there was a, a lot of uh, resentment towards the LAPD certainly the the black community uh, was very skeptical of their ability to get justice in Los Angeles. And so but the, the, it was, the table you know, was kind of set to, it was, to play that card. It was a
0: tough, tough, time out there because there I mean, was 60, so I much-
1: 63, I think 63 people died during the L.A. riots. I mean, it was a big, big Oh, deal. it was. Yeah. It was. I mean, mil- millions and hundreds of millions of dollars but, worth of damage. Yeah. Uh, it, it really that but was city was blame, in flames
0: when it comes to crowd control and, and inaction by LAPD because they didn't want to be perceived as being heavy handed and that's why some of it got out of hand you know and you can go back and look at all the studies that were done about that on both sides that's a that's another story right but day.
1: clearly the Rodney King beating was unjustified I mean that was captured you know I was on a cruise it was, it was and watched documented that, and I went, right oh, right so. I mean, Forget about all the other stuff, which maybe they... And then you had Reginald
0: Denny, you know, and that was on the other side, and that brought out, you know, him getting pulled out. and You know, here's an innocent guy driving a truck, and he gets uh, pummeled by a group of of, of black men, you know?
1: Yeah, It was just... You know, what's ironic is you got the... uh, You have that backdrop and this undertone of of, uh, racial disharmony and lack of trust with the Los Angeles Police Department. And then the flip side is you have O.J. Simpson... Who really never reached back to his own community? No, right. Married a white girl. He never really got involved in the inner cities. Never really did much for his community, um, and, and, and really never even considered himself that black. In fact, according to the series, he's like racial, uh, you know, racism. He goes, "I'm O.J. Simpson. I'm not black." And you know, whether that in fact or those are real words or not, the 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 attitude may be. You know, and we'll accurate. talk
0: about a little bit of that too when the jury went to his house,
1: right? And that's an interesting thing. That's, and, that, and that now that that actually, when we talk about it, that, happened. It did happen. Yeah, that happened. Yeah. So I mean, that, and that's coming up very shortly, right?
0: Because you know, we, we talk about the, it starts off with you know, Darden getting pulled over, and then they give us his, his card back, his license back. Thank you, Mister Assistant District Attorney, and uh, then it shows Johnny Cochran in church. You know, always, yeah. you know, always quoting MLK and uh, Johnny. Was that the way he really was? No, well, probably as I, not. As I,
1: as I said before, you know, I, I met Johnny. I worked with him. Um, I handled some both personal matters, and then we did a couple of cases together. Um, so I had, I, I can't say I knew him, you yeah. know, super, super well, but... The the Johnny Cochran I knew was uh, extremely professional, very gracious, very ethical, just really a pleasure to work with and a very, very sharp individual. Uh, I never got any sense – that he was too cute by two, or slick, or no. or no. anything you know, disingenuous in any way whatsoever. I think that my impression was always that he was a, a man that was very thoughtful, very much in control, very methodical in the way that he did things. Um, nothing knee jerk with Johnny. No, and see,
0: and that's yeah. what I got watching the trial too. You know, from the real Johnny Copper. Yeah, you know, and uh, that he just did a good job. But then they start picking on uh, Chris Darden. Looking at him basically as an Uncle Tom, yeah, and you know, and one of the things that uh, we don't know if if it really happened was that he said basically that uh, Darden was being used as a tool by the DA because he's black. You know, was he really used as a well, tool? Well, to a certain extent, uh, yeah. I think maybe.
1: I think there's probably truth to that. Yeah, because originally you recall the the defense team. Uh, it was Marsha Clark, and um, the other attorney who was White. Uh, was it Hank Goldberg? Yeah, uh, the guy that had a heart attack. Yeah, Hank Goldberg. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it probably was wise of them to put Darden on. I mean, you have to, if you're if you have a, a jury that's that's made up of you know a racially diverse jury, I think it's smart to just like you would, no different than if you decided you wanted to add co counsel to a defense team as an example so that you, when you do cross examinations, you have right. one who's the pit bull, and the other one who's the, the good, you know, the, the good cop, bad cop. So you can alternate. So a jury for the duration of the trial doesn't just see one defense attorney is constantly barking at everybody, right. and they start disliking he or she and going, "God, this guy's an asshole." So you, I, I, so, so I, I you put in, so you put someone else on there who, depending if you're talking about a records custodian or some, you know, innocuous witness, they can go on and 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 be the good guy. I I, I get sued by a white supremacist group.
0: And we were in, uh, in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C. Uh, got sued for false arrest, false imprisonment, and use of an illegal chokehold, which is all total BS. But uh, it, it, they sued us, it went to trial, jury trial. Well, a jury in D.C. is going to be predominantly African American. And here you've got a white supremacist group, group called the National Alliance. And they brought in uh, a black attorney from Baltimore. You know, and that's I hilarious. know he hated it. Yeah. He, he hated it. But they had to play the game. Yeah. They had to play the game. Yeah. And they hilarious. lost,
1: by the way. Good. So, yeah. So, um, anyway, kind of cutting back to the the, the, the domestic, domestic violence. violence issue. Yeah. And what was significant was, so they argue this thing over the court. I mean, I think it's a multi-day hearing on this thing. Ultimately, Ito comes back with a 10-page opinion on it. Well, it, was and 60,
0: it 62 incidents of domestic violence over 17
1: years Yeah Now Most of that stuff comes in What doesn't come in And, and it It's You know It sounds Most people are go, How could that not come in But just It doesn't come in Because The law doesn't Allow it to come in And it wasn't unique right. To this case But what does not come in Was that phone call That Nicole made To the women's shelter A week before In which she Talks about Her concerns And expresses her fears Of Simpson and the reason it doesn't come in is because it's, it's inadmissible hearsay. Yeah, um, She wasn't around to testify as to, to the call, as to what she was feeling at the time, et cetera. And so Ito correctly keeps that out. Now, the average person will go, God, I mean, this girl, this, this woman called a week before. She calls a women's shelter, and she's talking about how scared she is of, of Simpson. How can that not come in and um, anyway no I mean it didn't
0: and and it really
1: is the correct ruling
0: yeah you know then it goes on and uh and then then you start now kind of the relationship uh between between Furman and Darden you know Darden and and Darden basically says no we're not going to put Furman I don't want to put Furman yeah of course (laughs) you know and and he sits down he asks about the n-word and and has he ever used it and and I tell you Furman he's very very measured
1: very yeah, he's not a dummy no, not no, at he's, all he's actually a pretty sharp guy not, unfortunately not at all. he's you know he's he's flawed but um but no he's Furman is actually an intelligent you know and if he it's really sad because if he wasn't you know if he wasn't a racist, he would have been a really good cop yeah because he's smart he's sharp he's measured he's methodical but um he's flawed Exactly. But um, this is an area, according to fact-checking, where they actually did, the series did a really good job in recreating probably one of the most uncomfortable parts of that trial. And that's the the moment in pretrial hearings when they're talking about, yeah, when they're talking about, you know, the N-words, a dirty, filthy word, and... And it's so prejudicial and so extremely inflammatory that the use of that word in any situation will evoke some type of emotional response from any African American. And, you know, he makes this really impassioned argument about how it's just going to blind them. And everybody's
0: looking at him like he's crazy.
1: Yeah. And um, he – and and keep in mind, uh, you know, as far as background with Darden, Darden was essentially – you know, he was – almost in internal affairs, right? I mean, that's what he was. He he was. He was the guy that was prosecuting bad cops. So it it really, because he had spent so much of his time looking into racism with an LAPD, it really kind of made him see, Darden, see that the notion that the OJ Simpson defense team was going to play this card, right? Because he fought against it. And now he felt like it was being used in this disingenuous way. Yeah. And um, he gets kind of goaded into it. And when Cochran, who, oh. who does the rebuttal to this argument, oh. he— Got up like a preacher. Yeah, exactly. And, he, and he's calling Darden my good friend the whole time, but he's killing him, absolutely killing him. So that they, they apparently they did a really really good job in in um, re, reenacting recreating that particular testimony. That it's interesting that, yeah. too because when he sits down, he
0: looks at him and says the n word. is like, eh, please, yeah, you, know, it, yeah, you know, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. And so in the headlines the next day, lawyers face off over race. Yeah, and, yeah. Man, there were demonstration. You know, and and there really were demonstrations outside the courthouse. You know, on, on, on both
1: sides, right? I can remember, uh, I can remember watching that being that being covered. Do you remember? But uh, the the this by now, this thing's gotten so big. I mean, it's like ten city outside, right? Oh you yeah, have every media outlet worldwide almost covering this thing. I mean, it got crazy. This was really it. I mean, maybe even today, the trial of the century, right? It really. It's before, hard to it's hard to overstate Anthony
0: and all that yeah. started. Hard, this hard to was. overstate, yeah. yeah.
1: The size and the interest level. I mean, people. This one this went on for how many months? Nine months. Yeah. And court TV, man, court TV. Gavel to gavel. I mean, they, everybody. This
0: made court TV. Yeah, absolutely. It really did.
1: Yep. Now, the, the, in this episode, there, you know, there's always, and I think, kind of peppered throughout the series is this, this notion, this portrayal that Ito just he loves the attention, right? Loves the the fame, loves the the show loves everything about it, and it influenced some of his rulings. He was too soft on the defense at times. Johnny Carson in the Dancing Itos. Yeah, and he, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was hilarious. And, um, I love that. He got real close. to. The, they portray this instance where Ito brings back Dominic Dunn into his chambers, and that, that apparently happened. Yeah. And actually gives him like a front row seat. With the Browns. With the Browns, now there was some history. You know, Dominic Dunn yeah. lost his daughter. His daughter. So there is some interesting background with uh, regard. See, to I him. didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I did not know that she had been killed by her boyfriend in 1982, and, and he um, got
0: apparently some very, very lenient sentence. Found yeah, guilty, but yeah. And, uh.
1: So it um, and that's an interesting thing. Now we get to this issue that you were alluding to with regard to. The, the, the defense wanted to bring the jury out to Simpson's home. Right. And they also wanted to bring him out to the scene. Two reasons. First of all, they wanted to show—they wanted the jury to see what a small area we were talking about. Now, I've been by there. I've been by Bundy. I've seen it. I've been both. Yeah, 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 yeah I have yeah. too. And uh, it is a very, very small area. It's very— I'm- I mean, I mean, you, if you, you drive by, you'll you drive by a couple of times before you, oh, crap, there, there, there it is it right is. there. Yeah, it's very, very small. And the defense wanted the jury to see how, what a small area it was and how unlikely it would be that Simpson could, could perpetrate these two killings and not be covered in blood. And then they also wanted the jury to see Brentwood right. to see how much he had to lose. And how unlikely it would be that he would do this because of the lifestyle that he oh, had. Oh, yeah. But when they went to look at the home, they realized that it, quote, wasn't black enough because of the jury they had. And the, the series portrays the defense team actually kind of blackening the home, so to speak, right? And there was like this Norman Rockwell piece. Right. And, and, and in fact... Cochran did loan some art, but ironically, one of the pieces of art that he loaned was a Norman Rockwell. It was but it, yes, but it it depicts it's the little black it's,
0: girl uh, with the uh, uh,
1: it's I, I, a, yeah, it's it's a black proof. girl surrounded by the federal agents walking right. to school. Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 Mississippi. Right, and and then apparently Simpson had pictures of his at the time his girlfriend was Paula Barbieri. Remember right. that in bikinis, and, and right. stuff. right? So the all these like white. Friends, family members, and they replaced them. And with, his golf buddies, all those yeah. pictures, all his white golf buddies. Right. So they replaced those <laughs> with other pictures. Because um, he came
0: in when they brought him in. He, he says, "Who are these people? I don't even right, know these people." Right. He has pictures of kids. Those aren't my kids. Whose kids are these? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, they were. And and, and Darden and Marsha Clark, they were pissed. Right. But you know, you know, I was wondering. To me, that's 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 evidence tampering when it comes right down to it. You know, could any of that stuff in there be evidence? Uh, I don't know. But I just, well, I think
1: it depends. I mean, since no crime occurred there, no, right? But still, it's not it's not technically a crime scene now. When they did a search warrant at the time, it might have been. They didn't find any evidence there. No. but and if they had found some evidence there, then I think they would have been in a position to, to argue that it's a scene and that it would have been tampered with or, you know, and that it yeah. had to be preserved in such a way. And that if it wasn't, that they, the jury couldn't visit it because it would not be representative of the conditions at the time of the incident.
0: Now, when you did your facts, fact-checking, when they were leaving and there was it was up in the air and it looked like Darden was going to he was gonna handle Furman still up to that point. And Cochran came over and said let the white people do it. Did he actually say that to him? Do we know
1: that for sure? I was not able to refute that. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't have a sense either way on that. I haven't read anything about that.
0: And then the way it ended, that particular time with Furman because they had asked him during one of their interviews, you know, what do you do in your spare time? And he said, oh, you know, I collect, uh, I, I'm a World War II buff. I collect World War II. Right. Man. Well, it cuts to his house. And here's Furman with a bookcase and a display case. And they zoom in. And what is his World War II memorabilia? It's Nazi <laughs> like a like a uh, an iron cross, yeah. It's a surprise, ribbon with surprise. a swastika surprise. on it, that kind of thing. Yeah, look, there's nothing wrong. I know people that collect both, you know, memorabilia and you know, and, and militaria for yeah. both sides. But for him,
1: yeah, it's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. So then we we start getting into opening arguments, and the series portrays uh, Cochran in his opening talking about Rosa Lopez and and all these names that. The prosecution's never heard of.
0: And that's what like, whoa, 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 whoa.
1: Yeah, right?
0: And it interrupted him. It was, uh, it was Mr. Hedge, uh, the, the guy who uh, had the heart attack, Hodgman.
1: Right. Hodgman. Well, he actually doesn't. He do, That's not accurate. He yeah. did not suffer a heart attack there. Now, he later, right. at the DA's office, had some, some type of, yeah, some chest pains and so forth. But this whole scene, as depicted there, never occurred. And by the way, Rosa Lopez is the housekeeper, right? She yeah. is another – that goes back to Pavlik. Pavlik's the guy who interviews her initially, and she's the witness who becomes very critical, who ultimately never testified. Right. But, but she's the one who asserts that, you know what? That Bronco was out there at the time of the murders. I recall looking out, and the Bronco was out front park the whole time
0: but you know all these names that he mentioned during the opening right before the opening one of the other attorneys called him and said hey we did not put these in right that's and that's, that's, he gonna be, that's, so that's carl Dug- douglas
1: Dug- carl douglas who's a who's co-counsel right he he but you know who those people are those are all those are all um names of post-divorce sexual partners of nicole's yeah that's who those were exactly
0: and so, but
1: and, I mean, and, and Hodgman objected thirteen times. You, and, and attorneys almost never object during opening arguments, right? Never, because it's not evidence, right? I mean, argument's just an argument. It's not evidence. And but we so, start
0: naming names, you know that you're right, going well, to hear. Well, they're when saying, you whoa, say, "Whoa,
1: we we don't have any notice. We don't know anything about any of these names that you're talking." They they were panicking. But Douglas had told
0: him. Well, he fell you, on his
1: sword. Basically, it's my bad. He did. My, bad. I, my bad. I was supposed to get that stuff to you. But Johnny Cochran, instead of,
0: instead of saying, "Okay, well, we're not, we won't mention that," he
1: decided to go ahead and do it. Oh anyway. yeah, sure. It's easier to ask for forgiveness than it permission. Is for permission. <laughs> so that that kind of winds down. That goes through episode seven. Yeah. So what we'll do is, if you think this is a good idea, Mike, let's let let's let the series continue to run. Yeah. And then we'll do a final wrap up of seven through the end, and then we'll then we'll that have some good. like closing. That sounds Close great, and I, I think I think. And then we can do like a, a complete series overview
0: of right. the, you know. And I think our listeners stuff. will like that too, because you know, because coming up the next one is uh, I I liked it, it was, uh, Marsha, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marsha, 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 <Marcia. laughs> Marsha Clark and all her different hairdos, and uh, and it, we, then we get into the we get into the crux of the case. There we go. But that's going to be some good stuff coming up on CSI Sidebar with Mike Brooks, Charles Middlestadt, folks. Thanks so much. It's great to be back on. Charles, good to see you, brother. Good to see you, man. We I'm need, we need to get out and have a little uh, have, a, have a little bourbon and a couple cigars it's time. here. It's too. time. It's time. Absolutely. We make sure you're healthy. That's it. All right, folks. Well, as you're getting into the summer, please, we want you to be back listening to us. So whatever you're doing at the beginning of the summertime, we'll see you back here on CSI Sidebar. Stay safe.